Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What up, fam jam? I hope you've been having a fantastic week so far. Uh, I was on vacation last week. My wife and baby and I uh, were out at the beach enjoying the sun. I got super, super duper burnt. It was a good time. My wife was like, hey, you should like wear sunblock and put lotion on. And I'm like, sunblock's for the week and lotion's for the week. And then I got super burnt and regretted it for like three or four days afterwards. So my wife was right once again. Moral of the story is listen to your significant other when they give you solid advice and don't be dumb like me i was like i just want to have fun and relax and anyway um so what is up welcome to catholics with bibles uh we finished up first thessalonians last time and this week we'll be diving into second thessalonians it's a much shorter book um and so we'll be able to get through it just here in a couple weeks and then we're gonna dive back into some more uh biblical theology discussions and then we'll put a pause and then eventually we're going to dive into our next Bible study. So, 2 Thessalonians, going to get into it today. Uh, but first, as always, we have that Greek word of the day. So, our Greek word of the day, we have a really actually interesting word. And it's the word for worthy. So, kataxio. Uh, so, it's actually... Um, it's very interesting. It's it's, it's gonna we're gonna get into it um, here in, in a little bit in verse five, but uh, just that's it. Kataxio, uh, Greek word of the day. We're gonna dive into that. What that means a little bit more to be worthy of the kingdom of God was what Saint Paul talks about. Uh, before we dive into Second Thessalonians, we have to ask first ask the question of why write a second letter. What what caused Paul to feel the need to write a letter shortly after? Um, there's some theologians who debate whether or not Paul actually wrote Second Thessalonians or not, because according to them, they you know he this the tone of this letter isn't as loving, isn't as warm and fuzzy, isn't as you know whatever. Uh, but that I mean it's not that good of an argument um, because it it's you know first of all it says Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians. So we have here that you know the if Paul didn't write this letter, then whoever did is writing in Paul's name. Uh, but I think Paul did write the letter. Um, so the argument for that, it's less warm and fuzzy. First of all, just in my personal opinion, I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm writing a second letter to a community over some of the same issues that I already talked about, you know, I'm kind of, I'm going to get straight to the point, which Paul basically does. And, you know, not as, not the need to be as warm and fluffy and as polite and as, you know, cushy as the first time around just isn't there, right? He just wrote them a letter. So he's writing a second letter. He's going to get it right to the point. Um, so the reason, the reasoning behind the letter, and that we'll see in second Thessalonians is that the Thessalonians are still confused about the Perusia, the second coming of Christ. So we, Paul addressed that in the, in the back half of first Thessalonians, um, the, the second coming of Christ, you know, the, the end of times. Um, and so we're going to see here that there is still some confusion among, among the Thessalonians, uh, about that, but that also um, apparently that the Thessalonians, um, some of them also ignored Saint Paul's uh, instructions to work; that everyone should work to earn their own way, so that way not to put a burden on uh, other people. 
So apparently some people ignored that. Um, so he's going to readdress. Uh, that's just a couple of the issues that, that we're going to find in Second Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to see and, you know, we're going to skip over first and uh, the first and second verses because they're almost, I mean, really almost identical with the first and second verse of first Thessalonians. Um, and so the, the interesting thing about verse two is that we read grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So once again, there's a distinction between the father and the son, yet they are somehow mysteriously working together. So, you know, we have this kind of high Christology in Paul. Um, if you just you know, high and low Christology, uh, if you have high Christology, um, that means, uh, you, view Christ truly as like true God and true man. And so Catholics, we have a super high Christology. Um, but there are, there are some uh, Christians who have a low Christology um, who maybe they're not even Christians, some theologians, I should say, or want to be theologians. Uh, and especially uh, some people in the early church, like uh, Arius and those, they have a low Christology. So they don't think, they don't think Paul is talking about uh, Christ's divinity in statements like this. Um, that's a conversation for uh, another podcast. It's more of a dogmatic discussion, uh, but uh, I, you know, arguably so. There, I mean, it's very obvious that grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, he is distinguishing the Father and the Son, yet saying that this peace is coming from both of them. Right. So peace comes from the Father and the Son. So in, in our terminology. And that Paul didn't have access to because obviously uh, he wasn't around when the church made these dogmatic statements. Um, so that you know the the Father, you know all all you know all grace you know and faith comes from the Father through the Son, and, you know, and, and through the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's through the Son's most sacred heart that the Holy Spirit uh, pours forth and anoints us. And so the, the Trinity works in unison. You know, they cooperate, yet they are three uh, distinct persons. Um, okay, so, you know, with that intro, I didn't want to spend too much time on the intro because it's basically the same as First Thessalonians. So if you want to dive back in, you know, go a couple podcasts back and, and review that intro from First Thessalonians, you can. Uh, so we're going to dive into verse 3 and 4. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So once again, this is almost like a summary of the first like chapter to a first Thessalonians. So remember first Thessalonians, Paul kind of just went on and on about how awesome the Thessalonian church was. They were being super faithful. They were, you know, even though they were getting persecuted and we looked at Acts 17 and stories of the persecutions in Thessalonica. Um, and so Paul kind of going back to that, because this is also a, a, a formal Greek letter. So in, in formal Greek letters outside of the New Testament, you'd always start by a way of introduction and then um, you give thanksgiving for the person in some way. So this is this is Paul just sticking to formality here. Um, but also being honest, he's not like lying or anything. Um, but you, this section is much, much shorter than 1 Thessalonians. He doesn't feel the need to spend a chapter and a half um, giving praise to God. Um, he just says, you know, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. So he's acknowledging the fact that their faith is still growing, right? It's not like he's writing to them. This is almost like putting them at ease too, right? Um, he's acknowledging the fact that their faith is still growing. They're still serving the Lord. Uh, and so he's, he's grateful for that. And, he has, he, and he's thankful 
for their faith growing and their love for one another growing. Um, and therefore, we ourselves boast, right? Paul, you know, he brags about how awesome the church is in Thessalonica um, because of their steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and afflictions and enduring. So it's like reverse gossiping, right? Um, <laughs> gossiping would be talking behind somebody's back in a negative way. And Paul's reverse gossiping. He's talking behind their back in a positive way. He's boasting. Um, and so verse 5 um, through the end of uh, chapter 1 is really where we get into more than nuts and bolts of the letter. Paul, like I said, he doesn't really waste any time. Um, this is the second time he's writing to them. So he, he really just wants to get down uh, to, uh, to the nitty gritty. Uh, if, you, if you know uh, Nacho Libre, you get that reference. If you don't, you just think I'm really weird and silly right now. But um, if you have, first of all, if you haven't watched Nacho Libre, I mean, watch Nacho Libre. It is a funny movie. Christopher West thinks so too. He, he, he writes about it in one of his books. <laughs> and it's, it's like my wife and I is like, go to like, we just feel like being dumb, but also not watching something super scan like scandalous at all. It's just kind of a silly movie. Anyway, side tangent about Nacho Libre. Going back, uh, verse five through the end of the chapter. We read, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we also pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, in you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so gets interesting real quick. Verse uh, five downward and verse five, you know, we have this, this beautiful, but maybe confusing verse. You know, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. So th what he's about to say, what I'm about to tell you is, is proof, is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, that you may be considered worthy. And this is almost, um, this can be a, a slightly scandalous uh, verse if we don't look at it right, because, you know, how can you say that somebody's truly worthy of an eternal gift of namely the kingdom of God to dwell with God for all eternity? Um, it sounds almost, you know, a little bit Pelagian, uh, when you don't, if you don't read it right, but you know, Paul's not, you know, a heretic. Obviously, in the scripture, we believe to be, you know, whole, wholeheartedly, uh, you know, to it to to be faithful and true. Um, but you know, it's one of those things too, where this isn't even something that Paul's making up. If we look at Luke twenty verses uh, thirty four, um, when he he's you know Jesus says you know said Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. 
for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to the angels and, the, and are the sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Um, that's a very interesting verse. But I just wanted to, it's the same Greek word. It's, it's worthy. You know, so Jesus even says, it's those who are found worthy. And it's, it's not as if, you know, God is, you know, somebody who just kind of sets the clock, watches it, and all of a sudden he's looking at everybody and be like, oh, wow, yeah, that person's worthy, but that person's not, right? That's, it, that's not how it works. God, God is intimately intertwined. He is the alpha and the omega. If you do anything good, it is his grace that provides the opportunity to empower you to do the good act um, for the good end. And once again, he is the, the final end, the ultimate cause. Um, so, it, you know, we're not saying that, and Paul's not saying that uh, these people magically are found worthy, but no, it's it's rather that they have co- cooperated with grace, right? They have allowed the Holy Spirit to work in and through them and been prompted by the Holy Spirit to move and to be to do the good, right? To be found worthy, to be conformed to a citizen of heaven. It's a very interesting term to be. A, if you think about it, the kingdom of God, what is a kingdom? It's a, it's a kingdom, it's a country. And if you dwell in that kingdom, you are a citizen of that kingdom. And so you have to be a citizen of the divine kingdom. Right? You have to be found worthy to become a citizen. So you have to you have to earn citizenship to a certain extent, but it's not it. That's I'm not saying I'm not Pelagian about this. It's not it's not you acting primarily for yourself. You don't take the first step. It is God's grace that empowers you, that prompts you, that puts that faith in your heart, and you must then cooperate with it to choose to accept and cooperate with grace. Right? Grace is not competitive. I've said that in the podcast before. Grace is not competitive. It's not a situation. It's not a false dichotomy. It's not all God or all us. Rather, it's all God and all us, right? It's it's the incarnational analogy. It's not that, you know, Jesus is all God or, or all man or some kind of weird combination. Rather, he is fully God and fully man. He's totally both. And grace works in an incarnational way. And so we have to find worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who have afflicted you. So we're so to be found worthy of the kingdom of God is to prove how much you want it by suffering. So you're suffering for the good, and you're being you're you're choosing to do the good or to avoid the evil, knowing that you're going to be persecuted for it, knowing that it's going to result in something that's not going to feel good. That is what God looks at, and that and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's what God's going to look at, and he's going to see his son in you. St. Paul says in Galatians. So, and this is interesting, because Paul doesn't talk about, like, death a lot. He doesn't talk about what's going to happen at the end of time a whole bunch. But, I mean, that's one of the uh, the things he's addressing uh, in this letter. Uh, and, and so he says, since indeed God considers it just, dikaiosune, it's just, or dika. Dikaya, sorry, is just. Dikaya sune is righteousness. So it's the same uh, root word. So God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And once again, this isn't something that Paul's just making up. You think of the story that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus the beggar, right? Lazarus the beggar dies of his sores at the rich man's door. Uh, and then when they die, uh, you know, the, the Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom 
and the rich man is in Gehenna, right? He's, he's on the other side. He's un, unquenchable fire. And Abraham even says to him in, this, in Jesus' story, you know, you you had it good in this life, but Lazarus didn't. And that's why he's there. It's like, it's not it's not that riches are evil and, and all rich people are going to hell. That's not what I'm saying at all. But rather it's his unwillingness to help the poor, to see Christ and others, to help the widow, to help the orphaned, to be a good man empowered by grace, right? So in that story that Jesus told, it's it was just for him to end up there, right? Not that God necessarily condemned him there, but rather he, he chose it, right? Um, and, and, you know, verse 7, there's a flip side of this. He, and God also grants relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So, I mean, Old Testament, there's fire, I mean, throughout it. But fire is, I mean, a lot of the times in the Old Testament, fire is a representative symbol of God's presence. Think of the burning bush. That's a very obvious one. Um, think of, uh, you know, the candelabra and the temple, the, the, the fire there. Um, so um, fire is, and even think of, you know, Isaiah, um, you know, in the, in the, or in Ezekiel and the chariot of fire that God's throne rides on. And so fire in the, in the Old Testament is, you know, a sign of God's divine presence, which points more to, to the high Christology here because it's when Jesus appear, appears, he's going to appear with his mighty angels in flaming fire. So Paul, St. Paul, you know, connecting the dots here, Jesus, truly God, truly man, he is the presence of God on earth. He is truly God and truly man. Um, and then, you know, it's, and he comes, you know, and to, to punish those who never chose the gospel, who rejected the gospel. Um, and that's, that's harsh, right? That's harsh language. As, as modern Christians, we don't really like to think of eternal judgments, damnation, but it's, it's a reality, right? Hell is real, right? Hell is real. There's a, there's a quote from a saint, and I'm going to have to paraphrase it, um, basically saying, uh, hell is going to be more, e you're going to get there hell to hell more easily if you don't talk about it. Right. If you pretend hell is not there, then what, what, I mean, not that hell should be your primary motivation to do good. It should be love of God. But at the same time, especially in initial conversion, I mean, fear of hell, the saints talk about this, fear of hell can be a motivating factor, right? It shouldn't be your final factor, right? Um, but at the same time, God can use that. Uh, St. Catherine of Siena talks about, it's a mercenary love, right? Uh, you love God out of uh, what you can get from him, namely eternal life. Um, but at the same time, God's not going to be like, sorry, not good enough. And then going to like, you know, you're going to be SOL for the rest of your life and for all eternity. Uh, St. Catherine Cena talks about how God can use that. The Holy Spirit can use that and help you refine your love, right? Refine your love to finally just love God for God's sake. Um, and so verse nine, we read, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord. So that word, it's literally the face of the Lord, uh, which is another like an Old Testament reference, Isaiah 2. Um, and from the glory of his might. I think of 
C.S. Lewis, uh, The Great Divorce. Uh, if you haven't read that book, it's a fantastic book. You should read it. I mean, in The Great Divorce, you know, they're on a, they start, the story starts on a bus in hell, and the bus takes people up into, uh, like, the first layer of heaven kind of thing, and they get off the bus, and immediately everybody's in pain uh, because the grass is so sharp, and they're so uh, transparent and light that it feels like needles on their feet. So C.S. Lewis, in this, in this beautiful story, uh, talks about how they weren't real enough, right? Because glory, right, glory, kavod in, in, in Hebrew, it means realness. It means weightiness, right? So you're more real. So God is more real. To be more good is to have more weightiness behind you, right? So in that story, there's a there's a one of the ghosts, if you will, um, has a the lizard of sloth on his back or on his shoulder, and a seraph comes up and asks, you know, "Can I kill it?" And you know they go back and forth. At first, he doesn't want to, but eventually, he consents even for a split second. The seraph. He, he kills uh, the lizard on the guy's shoulder and in turn burning the guy um, because he's a seraph and he's fire. But in that moment, after the lizard of lust is killed, he transforms into a stallion of desire and the ghost, all of a sudden, now he's not transparent. You can't see through him anymore and he bends the grass, right? So he becomes more real and he rides the stallion of desire up to the mountain of God and C.S. Lewis' story. Um, so it's when, when people, when you know, when the, when the, the fires of hell, you know, it's almost because of the, the, the reality that God is so real and they're not, and that his presence is painful. I'm not saying that hell is, you know, heaven and hell are the same place and that it's, you have different feelings story. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but at the same time, it, and you've seen this too. When, when people in this life, you know, when they're so deep in their sins, it's almost just mentioning the church or Jesus, and it's like painful for them, right? It's it's too real, it's too good, um, and that can be a moment of conversion as well. Um, so, the punishment of eternal fire away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marvelled at among all who believe. So, so that our destiny is to be to glorify God and to literally marvel at Him, right? To marvel at Him. Uh, a lot of times in youth group. Uh, people say, you know, heaven sounds kind of boring. What do you do? And so I, and I learned this analogy from a professor of mine in, in college. You know, the same time flies when you're having fun. You know, have you ever been on vacation or done something you really enjoy and all of a sudden like hours go by and it felt like minutes. Um, and it's because when your brain is totally preoccupied, it's like you have this weird sense of time. And that's only like earthly examples. Could you imagine being totally preoccupied with the divine presence for all eternity? I mean, an internal divine presence infinite right so it's it's outside of time it's we're not there's not going to be boringness in heaven right heaven's not boring your intellect and your will is going to be totally preoccupied with the divine presence um and it, it you'll be outside of time which is something we can't we can't grasp right um so wrapping up verse one or sorry chapter one we read to this end we always pray for you that our god may find or sorry make you worthy of his calling and so uh it's actually a really bad translation, but most most Bibles use this translation. But Nathan Eubank actually points out. So the the word they use that our God may make you worthy, it's uh, axio in Greek. Uh, but that word in no Greek dictionary lexicon is that word ever translated to make. That's not the word to make. Axio means to find or to be thought worthy, to be found worthy, to be thought worthy. 
So the reason that a lot of uh, translators use the word make instead of find it is because they're fearful of a Pelagian tendency. They're fearful that, you know, this sounds, uh, you know, quote, too Pelagian or even like for Protestants, too Catholic, right? Um, so, but, but that's the literal translation is that God may once again find you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolution for good and every work of faith by his power. So even go back to verse five, to be considered worthy, right? To be considered worthy and then to be found worthy. So the goal of the Christian life for, for St. Paul, telling the Thessalonians to, in order to be found worthy. So when Jesus Christ comes again, we don't, there's no fear. Rather, we're going to bask in his glory and the glory of God. Be found worthy. And it's not that, we make ourselves worthy. That's, and that's not what St. Paul is saying. That's not what the church says. It's not what anybody, any good Orthodox Catholic says. Rather, it's that the fact that God sent forth his Holy Spirit to enkindle the seed of faith, hope, and charity in your heart. And you've accepted that and you have cooperated with that. And you've allowed the Holy Spirit to transform you, to be citizens of the kingdom be citizens of the kingdoms and soldiers for Christ. Be found worthy when he comes again. Not that it's us who took the first step, far from it, but rather but rather God who took the first step and initiated, you know, it's the primacy of grace through faith. But we cooperate, right? It's not just all God. We're not Calvinists. It's not all God and none of us. Rather, it's all God and all us. But God is a primary agent. And finally, verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the purpose? What's our goal? It's to be, uh, as it, like St. Paul talks about first uh, in the Ephesians 1, to be the praise of his glory. St. Elizabeth of Trinity even talks about this. She says that the goal of my life is to be the praise of his glory that my very essence, that my life, that my words may be a prayer and a prayer of praise, acknowledging his reality, his glory, his goodness, that everything I do may be a prayer of praise for the goodness and glory of God. So that's Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Next time we'll dive into chapter 2. I'll see you next time. So once again, thank you for joining me with Catholics with Bibles. My name is Chase Krause. We will be finishing up 2 Thessalonians in the next week or so. I hope you've enjoyed this Bible study. If you have any other Bible or books of the Bible that you want to go through that you've been desiring to learn more about, go ahead and shoot me an email, shoot me a message, reach out. Don't hesitate. Uh, if you have any suggestions, we can dive into that in our next Bible study. And if you like this, as always, give us a share, give us a review, and we'll see you next time. God bless y'all.